Happy Holidays from the DSR Network. We are deeply appreciative of our members and the year that we've had. To celebrate the holiday season, we are offering a 50% discount on either your first month or first year of membership. Members enjoy an ad-free listening experience, bonus content for virtually all of our shows, an invitation to the members-only Slack community, and more. Best of all, if you become a member in the month of December, you can take 50% off the membership price for the first month or for the first year. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code DSRHOLIDAY at checkout. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and code DSRHOLIDAY. Thank you very much for your support. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello and welcome to the podcast. It's that time of the week for us to have our mothership of all podcasts, and here we are with our friends from the Wayback Machine to look ahead to the year ahead. That includes, of course, Rosa Brooks of Georgetown University Law Center. Hi, Rosa. Hi, David. When you put it that way, it makes me feel like what you're saying is you guys are really old. Not all of you, but I'll get to him in a minute. From a- <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Just, just one of you. Uh, also on the youthful side, we've got Corey Shockey of the American Enterprise Institute. How are you doing, Corey? I am exceedingly well, David. Happy holidays, Deep State Radio nerds. Happy holidays, nerds. Um, and uh, speaking for, you know, uh, the boomers and before, we have David Sanger of the New York Times. How you doing, David? That's fine. I am in rainy, grim Berlin, um, where anybody with Corey's sort of enthusiasm here would be immediately called out. And seen as one of those cheerful Americans. Well, you know, yeah, you d- you did miss out on a big East Coast storm here in the United States. Five people actually died. It was a in it was a it was a it was a brute. So the fact that you're in rainy weather just gives us something to connect on. But what I thought we would yeah. do is look ahead to the year ahead um, and get some uh, predictions or artful evasions from you. Uh, on a variety of issues, and I'll start with three or four of the big foreign policy issues, and then maybe um, go to uh, go to some more generalized ones, so that you can talk about things I haven't asked about. Um, uh, and you know, we'll keep this as rapid fire as as you guys will allow. Um, and uh, let me start with um, well, let me start with Israel and Gaza. What's the likelihood that there is any kind of meaningful resolution of the conflict in Israel and Gaza in the next 12 months, Rosa? Um, define meaningful, David? I mean, I mean, I don't... Giving you a little wiggle room there, you know. Uh, I mean, I think the conflict, the, the current intensity is not sustainable for the simple and appallingly depressing reason that 
Gaza is small and there aren't enough Gazans and the Israelis are going to run out of people to kill, frankly. Um, and right. Uh, um, and I think that they must know that. And I think that Lloyd Austin just delivered that message fairly forcefully. I think that having the president of the United States in, in one of his sort of accidental Bidenish moments of uh, crushing honesty, say this is indiscriminate bombing. Um, you know, they can't sustain this. Um, I, they, they are losing so much of the goodwill uh, that they had in the wake of the Hamas terrorist attack uh, and the many, many deaths and atrocities carried out by Hamas. And, and so I don't, I don't think it will continue at its current intensity. I think it will wind down in the, in the coming, certainly next few months, if not next few weeks. Um, but do I think there will be a, a meaningful uh, resolution of some sort? I'm not that optimistic. I mean, I think it will go from, you know, horrific, just gouts of blood all over the place to, you know, slower bleeds and slower forms of misery, um, not unlike uh, our own post 9-11 war, um, you know, where you, you start with shock and awe and you end with, you know, uh, a whimper and a lot of suffering, but uh, it gradually dies down and you get a very unsatisfying resolution where you say, well, was that meaningful? Did that help anybody? And uh, yeah, so I'm not very pessimistic. I'm not very, um, that was a Freudian stuff. I said, I'm not very pessimistic. And yet I am, um, as, as you hear, and as we know. That's completely on brand. So let me turn to you, turn to you, Corey, for the optimistic outlook. Well, I don't actually have an optimistic outlook on the Gaza war. I think it's bad and it's going to stay bad for a long time. Um, the only um, possibility for a political solution that I think I can see, and it's not a very hopeful one, I'd say that odds are two in 10, is a revival of the 2002 Arab peace plan, which is a two-state solution limited uh, right of return or compensation, 67 borders. Uh, you'd have to figure out a better solution than giving the Golan back to Syria. But I don't see any other way to f that there will be a basis for police and social services in Gaza and any kind of governance absent um, Arab states banding together, preferably under a UN mandate to provide it. But more than 100 UN workers have been killed in Gaza. So I doubt the UN's going to want to take any responsibility. The Israelis uh, don't want to rule Gaza. Uh, the Palestinian Authority doesn't appear to want to and may not have any more legitimacy or marginally more legitimacy than Israel. <clears throat> Egypt and Jordan won't open their borders because they fear refugees will never be permitted to return. Um, I don't, I certainly don't think the Biden administration wants any piece of this. And so finding a way to provide for the, what is it, 1,800,000 displaced Gazans to be able to return? finding a way to reconstruct all that has been destroyed in Gaza, 
those are enormous tasks, and I don't see anybody stepping forward to undertake them. Okay. David, where do you come out? Well, I wish I could tell you that I was vastly more optimistic than uh, uh, Rosa is or Corey is. I'm not because the history of dealing with um, terror groups is that um, you go in with a big proclamation to go crush them. There's a flurry, and we've certainly seen an incredibly violent one here, of an effort to get at them, one that I think is going to do long-term strategic damage to uh, Israel, I'm afraid. Um, and that then you suddenly realize that you've never defined what does it mean to wipe out a terror group. It took us years to run down the last of Al-Qaeda, and they still exist, though not as an open threat. It took us years to go after ISIS. The Israelis, for uh, all of this military action, has not seemed to have gotten any of the Hamas leadership, military leadership yet. So um, I'm assuming and hoping that this moves to a much more targeted kind of special forces kind of operation over over time um, that um, ends the, the the horror story that we're all watching uh, play out on on TV and in social media each day. And I think it will. I think the Israelis pretty well understand they've only got a couple weeks um, left here. Um, then comes the question, can you use the moment to strike your deal? Obviously not with Hamas, but can you build out of the crisis as Kissinger did uh, after the Yom Kippur War, um, as others have, uh, have sought to do after big moments of crisis here? And I think you'll see a lot of activity in that direction. But um, while um, Bibi Netanyahu runs Israel, it's hard for me to believe that we're going to see anything that's got the words two-state solution in it. He's made his opposition to that clear. Uh, the president's laid out other objectives, uh, including that Gaza's territory can't be reduced. The prime minister has rejected um, that one. Um, he said that it needs to be, the administration has said it needs to be run by the Palestinian Authority. I don't know anybody who thinks that they're like ready to do that at this moment. So uh, I think it's going to be pretty messy a year from now. Uh, I agree. And uh, I would go on about my opinion on this, but I wrote a column that's coming out a little bit later this afternoon and sort of around the time you're listening to this about... What, if, what, what about those of us who can't read? Uh, that's a good point. But as we usually do, Rosa, just call me and I'll read it to you as okay, I do each I week. I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> but uh, in which I talk a little bit about this. I would just say based on a whole series of high-level conversations with Biden administration officials, I would say the U.S.-Israel relationship has reached a level of remarkable dysfunctionality, high-level toxicity. Um, and uh, uh, there's very, very unlikely to be any serious progress on this. While the Bibi Netanyahu administration remains in office. Yes, Corey. So, David, I, I apologize for interrupting you. I do have a question, though, because I wonder why the Biden administration believed it was going to have influence over Israel's choices. 
Um, why did, why were they surprised by that? I personally, this is just my opinion is that they acted first and thought about it later. Um, I think they said, we must stand by Israel. This is a horrifying event. We've got to show solidarity. And only then began to realize that on virtually every major issue of policy going forward, the U.S. and Israel are not aligned. And in fact, whether you look at who's going to run Gaza later or the intensity of the conflict or... Um, whether there should be a two-state solution or uh, whether the PLO or the Palestinian Authority should be revitalized. The Netanyahu administration has come out diametrically opposed to the positions of the Biden administration and done so publicly. In the case of the intensity of the conflict, uh, Yov Gallant, the Israeli defense minister, stood next to Jake Sullivan and essentially said, yeah, they asked for this, but we're not doing it. And it, I mean, really kind of awkward and, and, and embarrassing. And, and uh, you know, that, that doesn't, I, I, I don't diminish the, the value of the Biden administration seeking to do the right thing via diplomacy, uh, but, I, but I, do, I do think they could use a better partner than they've currently got. You know, you can tell it's the end of the year because David and I usually agree about once a year, and, and this is it. This is the- um, well, we've so- waited. We've waited until now. <laughs> we decided to, you know, use our one for the for the. And David's got this exactly right. They have um, contradicted uh, President Biden at each step, and Brett McGurk and Jake Sullivan and Tony Blinken all through the line. What's remarkable is that they have done this assuming that it would not make a difference on the $14 billion that they are hoping to get from Congress. Uh, Usually the United States provides just a bit in excess of $3 billion each year in security assistance to Israel. Um, Now they're debating the the 14, and of course it's stuck in the same bill that has stuck Ukraine. funding, and we'll talk about that, I'm sure, in a little bit. But we put conditions on almost every other form of aid that we've got. The Ukrainians, for example, get the long-range missiles that the U.S. has with an understanding they can't fire them into Russia. But when you ask the administration now, what conditions would you put on the military supplies you are giving to Israel, the answer that we've gotten in public, on the record, is there will be no conditions on it. And I know there are members of the administration now who are beginning to wonder whether or not that is the right position. Totally right. What the administration says in public and what they say in private at this point, quite different. Quite different. And I I think the reality is, as David says, because David is always right, um, um, right? Except the other fifty-one weeks of the year. Well, no, you're usually, <laughs> you're usually right, but but uh, it's hard to admit it. But but the, the 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 reality is, all aid is conditional, always, always, and whether you say it is or not, it is, and and you know how how we act on that is another issue. So Rosa, looking into your dark, murky, you know, thorn-filled crystal ball. <laughs> Tell us about the, what's going to happen in Ukraine in the year ahead. Oh, boy. Um, 
you know, also nothing. I, I doubt that anything really good is going to happen. I'm just hoping nothing really, really bad happens. I mean, I think I think so much depends on how the next year goes in terms of U.S. politics, right? And and obviously we're at a moment of extreme upheaval right now. I hope at some point during today's discussion we'll talk about the fact that uh, a state supreme court has has said that our former president Donald Trump cannot be on the electoral the presidential ballot in Colorado because he is guilty of having uh, committed insurrection. Um, um, we. We have a Congress that just took a recess after I, I can't recall the exact numbers, but it was something like they've had, you know, 780 votes and they managed to pass 27 pieces of legislation, something like that. Um, uh, so clearly we, we have a Congress that even on the even on seemingly uncontroversial issues seems to have extraordinary difficulty getting its act together um, um, to do anything. And on Ukraine, um, which shouldn't be particularly controversial, but yet yet is because the the far right uh, has been uh, self-destructively weird about it. Um, you know, I, it's, it's not very clear that we're going to be able to continue to step up and provide the Ukrainians with the support that they need. I hope to God that that does not weaken them enough that Putin is actually able to make substantial headway um, over the course of however long it takes us as a nation to get our shit together again. Um, so I, my, my, and I, 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 I really hope, Corey, you, you let me down in your answer to the last question where I was hoping you would tell me I was wrong and everything would be fine. Um, but I really hope that at least on this one, Corey, you're going to tell me I'm being too pessimistic. My, my, my fear is that the best case outcome is that things kind of limp along and there are no dramatic changes, um, uh, either for the better or for the worse. My fear is that uh, things could start slipping away from the Ukrainians, that, that so much ground that they made so much effort to reclaim, so much progress uh, could start slipping away because we're in chaos. The Europeans are in moderate chaos. Itself. Tell me I'm wrong. Please, Corey. Yeah, tell, tell us, tell us, Corey, will the year end with Vladimir Zelensky sitting in Putin's chair in the Kremlin? That would be awesome. Yeah, would be so good. <laughs> Anyway, it's not going to happen. What's going to happen? So, uh, no, because Ukraine has no desire to possess Russian territory. The fundamental difference between the two war efforts is that Russia is trying to destroy and occupy Ukraine. Ukraine is just trying to get its people and its territory out of Russian control. My dear friend Rosa, on this one, I am... Glad to tell you, I do think you are too pessimistic. I think what we are going to see is the Ukraine aid bill pass in early January. Um, once they, once they work out a border agreement, which it seems like they're making pretty good progress on, Ukraine is going to, um, slowly grind its way through the Russian defenses. Uh, and begin to pick up speed on regaining territory as everybody struggles to figure out what pervasive surveillance of the battlefield, how that changes operations. Um, Ukraine is going to continue to expand its reach and control over the Black Sea 
and endanger Russian control of Crimea. I believe the Biden administration will finally break down and relax its policy restriction on Ukraine being able to use weapons to target Russian military forces inside Russia. Um, I think that will make a major difference because right now, Ukraine is having to deal with the problem we had to deal with both in Iraq and in Afghanistan, which is the enemies fighting from a protected sanctuary. And that makes it very difficult to knock out their combat power. Um, I do think for all of the concern that Western solidarity will hold, um, the White House seems, in my judgment, erroneously to believe that Ukraine can fail and it will be blamed on Republicans, not on a president of the United States who said we will do whatever it takes for as long as it takes. So I think an actual political calculation will kick in for the Biden White House and they will be willing to do more. Um, and Ukrainians are going to continue to build their domestic arms industry, which Russia destroyed at the start of the war, the reconstruction of that will take the pressure off delivery of Western weapons for Ukraine. They're going to get a million drones of their own production before 2024 is out. So I, I do think things are more optimistic for Ukraine's eventual victory than they look at the moment. So David, I was going to ask you to choose between Corey's view and Rose's. But paradoxically, they can actually both be true at the same time. Um, in other words, the Congress can, you know... We're Schrodinger's Ukraine, Russia, uh, Rosa. Exactly, Schrodinger's Ukraine policy. Where, where do you come at, David? Uh, well, as you know, my going-in position to any time that we are on uh, Deep State Radio is that um, Corey's right, David's wrong, and tell me what the question is. Right? <laughs> okay. But <laughs> how come Rosa avoid you know doesn't get included in this calculus? Here? No, Rosa doesn't because Rosa and I usually compete for who commands the darker view. <laughs> I, I say okay, I see. okay. Um, uh, but um, in fact, in this case, my view is actually significantly darker than Rosa's. Oh my! Okay. okay. Well, um, first wow. of all, David, I, no, stop talking I, now. <laughs> It's okay. nice to be Corey. I mean, it's the holiday season, for holiday God's sake. Season. It's the holiday Grinch? season. Scrooge? Right. Um, I, I could be all of the above. So the, the good news is I don't think either side has got the capability to win the war a year from now. Right? I think that that's, that's the most hopeful thing we, we can say. I think the downside is that all of the evidence that we have seen suggests that at a moment that the Ukrainians are having to learn how to go run the war on a budget and don't know how big that budget is, but they know it's a lot smaller than what it is that they've got in the past two years, the Russians are finally ramping up. They're solving their electronic warfare problems. They are bringing more troops in. They uh, are outnumbering the Ukrainians with drones, thanks in large part to Iran. Um, they've had, if you look at the amount of, of gain and loss of land this year, you know, it's been a pretty frozen conflict, but the Russians have gotten slight gains. And 
Putin's strategy is pretty clear. Dig in, hold out. If Donald Trump wins, his problems are over, right? This issue is done. President Trump, former President Trump, has said he would solve the whole conflict in 24 hours. There's only one way to do that, which is go in and give Putin what he wants. And we see very little evidence that much of a big portion of his party uh, would object to that. Um, the calls for the United States to stay out of it have only grown louder in the Republican Party in the past few months. I agree with, um, uh, with, with you guys that there will probably be a package of some kind. But I don't think it's going to be anything close to the $100 billion plus in combined military and civilian aid that we've given Ukraine over the past uh, two years. And so I don't quite see where their kelp's going to come from. I'm in Europe now. Um, the Europeans are saying they're going to step up and be larger contributors than the United States has been and so forth. But I've got to think that if the U.S. appears to have diminished enthusiasm for this conflict, it's only a matter of time before the Europeans will also have diminished um, enthusiasm for the conflict. Well, that's pretty bleak. Um, I, I, I I agree. That's that's. Did I did I win the Rosa? I think you. I think you're going to. You know, thorny crown of thorny crown of despair. Yeah, I think Rosa will break a little piece of her thorny crown off and give it to you. I tend to agree with Corey on this one. So I, I I tend to think that her perspective is is, is that's correct. Pollyanna's. Yeah. Well, well, no. I think the Congress is going to be a problem. I think the Republican Party is going to be a problem. But I still think all the things that Corey said are probably going to also happen. Um, so anyway, let's um, let's move to another thing. Normally at this point, I'd say, well, we you know we've got to take a break, and if you're not a member, you can't keep listening. But it's Christmas time, and if you're not a member. Happy Christmas. You get to keep listening. Our listeners are already so catastrophically depressed by this conversation that we probably shouldn't let them out of our sight. Yeah, no, no, that's true. We're going to keep an eye on you for the remainder of this podcast. But, you know, if you want to buy yourself a present or anybody else, buy membership at DSR. Go to the DSRnetwork.com, click membership, $5 a week. If I had told you at the beginning of this year that by the end of this year we'd have so many podcasts, you wouldn't have believed it. Or such big audiences or such great guests, and next year will be even better. So, you know, sign up now. Help us to continue to do this. Um, let me go in a little bit more lightning round uh, here. And uh, By the way, Rosa, Corey, did you pick that up where he said he's going to have better guests? <laughs> well, you guys are the you guys are the the mothership. There's no there's no improving. Training up from us. No, it's it's more it's more just having a a, a larger. Uh, this is like the pool, the pinnacle of podcasting, the very acme of podcasting. Right, it is. Right, it is. Well, hey, look, it's just like the point that appears to be at the top of my head because it's the pointed roof of my study. Yeah, that's, that's true. true. Or, we, yes, do, that's it. You look as though you're wearing a weird triangular hat, but it's a good thing this is a podcast. It's the Deep State Radio Nerd Memorial hat. <laughs> yeah, made of tinfoil. Um, uh, and, and anyway, um, I would just go through a couple of quick questions here. I'll, I'll, I'll state a premise for this one, and then you guys can uh, agree or disagree. Here's my premise. Um, 
we're not going to hear as much uh, stuff about China in the year ahead as we did in the year past, because China is going to be focused on its economic issues, is not going to be really stirring up trouble in its neighborhood. Um, and uh, the U.S.-China relationship is on a more solid footing. doesn't mean in the long term there aren't going to be problems. I'm just saying 2024, it may not be as big an issue. Rosa? Uh, I think that's right. I think that's right. Um, I think China has lots of big things to worry about domestically right now and, and, and seems to be signaling that they want to defuse tensions. Um, I think we obviously have a huge amount to worry about domestically, as I said earlier, not to speak of internationally. So I, I think that everybody is going to actually try to tamp down the tensions and it will not be the major issue unless, unless Donald Trump um, uh, manages to stay in the race and win the presidency, in which case all kinds of bad things could happen with China. Interesting. Corey? I disagree with Rosa on this. Um, I, I don't see any evidence, despite the palliative statements of Xi Jinping, they're still going after Philippine vessels in the uh, East and South Sea. They are still being incredibly reckless in, in running risks of military uh, accidents between them and us. The uh, foreign minister and defense minister and 70 of the top leadership of their nuclear rocket forces have been seized um, and, and no idea what's going on there. So the instability associated with either corruption or espionage or uh, security crackdown the security, the interior security ministry, as Sheena Greiton's research demonstrates, is increasingly supplanting the foreign minister in meetings with foreign leaders. China hasn't stopped trying to suborn uh, civil society and elected officials in Australia, Japan, Taiwan, um, and threatening diaspora communities. So I don't, I don't think it tamps down. Okay. Well, David, let's see if you can agree with me. The single most important development in the U.S.-China relationship in the next 12 months will be the publication of your book in the spring. <laughs> oh, absolutely. No question. Well done, David. Yeah, there we go. You know, David, I was going to agree with you even before you said that. Now I really agree with you. Okay. Um, uh, so, um, I actually do agree with David that in the sh in the next year, I think that the Chinese have every reason to try to calm things down. I also think their ability to control themselves in this arena may be less than we give them credit for. One of the things I learned in the course of working on the book that David uh, so neatly uh, promoted, so I don't have to, um, is that uh, during a balloon incident, U.S. intelligence basically came to the conclusion that uh, Xi Jinping was being kept in the dark, you know, about just how bad this whole thing was getting. That's not the finely run machine that, we, um, that we're accustomed to. Um, but wait, David, that makes you more confident that, that things are going to calm down? 
that the leader doesn't appear to know what's happening by the security services? Yeah, I think that she would like to make them calm down because he's got all these other things to go focus on. But what I'm saying is there is chance for an accident. And I'll tell you where I think the biggest one of those is, Corey. It's actually in Chinese efforts, even if they are poorly put together, to get in and, and try to influence the election, right? Because um, this is a topic um, that came up, although they didn't discuss it um, publicly very much during the uh, summit uh, last month uh, outside of San Francisco. Um, and I think that if there was the discovery that the Chinese were attempting in uh, 2024, what the Russians did in 2016, even if they did it badly, it could bring all this stuff back in a big way. Um, I hope they're too smart to do that. But my experience in watching Chinese cyber actors is they think they're more invulnerable to being detected uh, than they really are. Interesting. All right, well, let's turn to the subject Rosa brought up earlier because everybody really wants the big payoff here. What's going to happen in U.S. elections um, uh, next year? Um, uh, so, Rosa, um, you know, let's let's have your insight. Go out on a limb. Say that Donald Trump will not actually be the candidate because something is going to happen to him legally and. No, no, you don't think that's going to happen. What do you think is going to happen, Rosa? I don't know. Um, I think we are in a period of, you know, needless to say, great greater uncertainty than at any, almost any time in in recent history. Um, I would, well, last time we were this uncertain was between the last election and the inauguration. Um, um, but we're again at a moment of, of great uncertainty and, and, you know, a lot, a lot of danger. Um, I think that, I think there are two possibilities. And at this point I would put them at about 50, 50. Um, one possibility is that either Donald Trump, and I think this is unlikely, doesn't end up on the ballot. I think, I think it is likely he will end up on the ballot, certainly in most States. Um, um, and but so either he doesn't end up on the ballot unlikely or he does end up on the ballot and he just loses and he loses by enough, uh, clearly enough, a big enough loss that that's it. And Biden is reelected um, and we continue on our sort of slow, uh, clumsy, staggering towards normalcy. Um, I think it's about 50 percent chance of that, which is not to say. We, we stagger towards um, rainbows and unicorns, but just that we we are not a completely dysfunctional on the verge of failed failed state. Um, I think, however, there is a 50% chance that uh, Trump actually just wins. Um, that he's on the ballot and he just wins. Uh, and if he wins, and this is, this is as, as some of you know, is, is one of my current obsessions and new pet projects, um, uh, is I think we, I think, just as in the, la- the run-up to the last election, people were not taking seriously enough the possibility of a massively disrupted transition and contested transition, and that is in fact exactly what we got. I think this time around, um, everybody is acting weirdly uh, calm about the possibility that he, A, will win, and B, if he wins, will do ex- precisely what he's told us he's going to do, 
um, which is dismantle the career civil service, use the executive branch to persecute political enemies ranging from, you know, Mark Milley to whatever journalists have pissed him off to probably all of us sitting here. Uh, uh, yeah, well, for sure, Corey, because she was on that Never Trump letter. They're sure. all going to their own gulag. Right. And I'm serenely unrepentant <laughs> and, of that choice. And, and I think, um, you know, he will invoke the Insurrection Act on, on Inauguration Day. Um, I think we will, there's a very real likelihood if Trump wins that people people who we know uh, and possibly people people who are close to us and possibly ourselves will be in in actual danger uh, of physical violence or loss of liberty. Uh, and I think we all need to be thinking really hard about what bad things could happen and the ways in which bad things could unfold and how we encourage uh, both civil society in the U.S., um, our own institutions, allied governments, to be prepared to respond if and when really bad things start happening, because there is at least a 50-50 chance that they will. Um, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's a 30% chance, but it's not a it's not a 1% chance. It's sure not a 0% chance, and I don't even think it's a 15% chance. So. Well, it's a pretty, it's a pretty unsettling uh, prospect, particularly, Corey, since You're welcome. It, in my last book, I had to actually write the unpleasant words. Rosa Brooks was right about this whole thing, and then cite a bunch of things where she was right about this whole thing. About how and as it was you gonna... know, I really hate being right. Yeah, well, in this <laughs> particular case, you're really going to hate being right. Uh, what do you think, Corey? I share Rosa's judgment almost in its entirety. It is strange to me that democracy is in such danger at the moment, and we're um, we're weirdly acting like Donald Trump can be treated like a normal candidate, despite the things he's very clearly saying he will do, and that he tried to do in a number of instances last time. Um, and I think the only thing I would add that Rosa didn't is that, um, you know, we shouldn't be, um, we shouldn't placidly believe that Trump and his supporters haven't spent the last three and a half years trying to figure out how to get around the guardrails that, pretty effectively constrained his worst impulses last time. Well, it's up to you, David. Well, you know, the good, there are two pieces of good news here, and they both come from Rosa. First of all, I will not win the prize for the darkest prediction for 2024, because Rosa took it there with a second. As she does every year. As she does each year. So, David, once again, we have shown we're, we're basically we're just not worth it on the pessimistic side. Um, the second thing I'd say is um, we spent we spent um, we spent 2016 teasing Rosa about um, searching around for underground bunkers. I'm actually prepared at this moment, uh, Rosa, to send you my deposit money, and so that when Deep State Radio was being broadcast from you know someplace deep, truly deep, 
uh, uh, we'll know we have Rosa to thank for her shopping expedition. David, I'm I'm not entirely joking, but I I actually think one of the things that people should probably be thinking about is some sort of twenty twenty one. Uh, version of the Underground Railroad. If we have to get poor Mark Milley out out to Canada or something, tried for treason or whatever. Yeah. Um, so um, I think that we truly are in democratic crisis. It is remarkable to me to see that for all the revelations that have gone on, things that in previous elections you would think would end the candidacy. Um, the former president's poll numbers have just gone up and that they have um, risen with each new um, revelation. And uh, I think the 50-50 number that Rosa gave, which I think we would have thought was unimaginable a year ago, is highly imaginable today. Um that may say as much about the perceptions of Joe Biden that um, uh, where what you hear inside Washington and what you hear outside the, of, of Washington are, are completely at odds. I mean, the people who work with uh, the president, the times that we're encountering him when we're uh, covering him, yeah, he makes mistakes, he does Joe Biden things, but as 81-year-olds go, you know, seems plenty with it. I'm sure he's slowed down. Um, I wouldn't want to see what we're like at 81 doing deep state. Um, but the perception around the country is that, uh, you know, he is out of it and somehow responsible for a bad economy. Well, certainly we've had inflation, but by most other measures, if you had stepped in on Inauguration Day in 2021 and said that the unemployment rate would be well below 4% and give the other economic indicators, um, you and you didn't even know who was president, I think you'd probably say that person would be in good shape. And the fact that he's not in good shape at all and that they don't seem to be reacting to this with much alacrity in the White House um, is worrisome, I think, about how the White House right now perceives his chances. Well, I, 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 I think, you know, you all bring up uh, really worrisome prospects for the year ahead. Um, and I know, Rosa, you know, thinking about what you're saying, that the first person rounded up would likely, I mean, I could just think of somebody who's an immigrant, Turkish Oregon, ignores our bo- origin, ignores our borders, spends his whole life, you know, giving to people, which is socialism, uh, as a globalist, runs a DEI toy factory at the North Pole. You you know what I'm getting at here. I mean, Santa Claus. Santa Claus is a Turkish immigrant. I'm so confused, David. Santa Santa Claus, the origin of St. Nicholas is Turkey. That's okay. that's where he's originally from. Um, uh, so Santa Claus is going to be, you know, Pardon me? Why doesn't he go back to Turkey? Well, who's letting him stay at the North Pole? Well, I, I mean, you know. Erdogan won't let him come back to Turkey. Oh, that's why I he's see. at the North Pole. Yeah, that's oh, another important he's gonna run against him. international <laughs> insight. But of course, 
My point is that somebody with Santa Claus's background is exactly who's going to end up in one of these Trump prison camps. It's very and so, socialistic. Yeah. And if you the don't... present for everybody? Exactly. Socialism. Socialism. And so, you know, if you care about Santa Claus, you're going to have to plan accordingly for next year. Um, it may be the kiss of death, but I will say... Um, Maybe I've listened to too many of our political podcasts. Um, I think Biden's going to win. I think Trump is going to lose. But I don't think that we. But but I don't think that we should minimize these uh, these concerns. It's a a five alarm fire, and we've got to focus on all of this. Um, In any event. The one thing I know will make next year a good year is that we will continue our conversations and that each and every week I will, as I have for each and every week for almost a decade now, just get smarter and smarter by listening to Rosa and Corey and David and Ed, who is off someplace, um, on this, the mothership of our podcasts. And uh, we will continue to share their wisdom with you each week. Um, uh, until next year, however, uh, uh, for this podcast, we've got a couple more this week. Uh, happy holidays. Happy New Year. Um, as Corey said, Merry Christmas, Deep State nerds. Um, and <laughs> and uh, uh, thanks to everybody for a great year. And we look forward to a better one next year. Bye-bye. <laughs>